I well, look. I'm excited that you seem to have liked this volume because, as I was telling you throughout the week, I've gone back and forth about this volume a bunch. Yeah, you know, honestly, yeah. I'm the yeah. same way. I'm the same way. At first, I was like, "This is great," and then I was like, "You is you made it? The, you made the mistake of rereading it, didn't you?" Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, because uh. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it the first read. Yes, I really did not enjoy it the second read. Oh, and then the third read, <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, it's not as bad as I thought. Right, right. I think I still have the problems that I had with it on the second read. Mm-hmm. But it's also, it is genuinely better than I remembered it being. Or at least the faults that I had are not as pronounced as I thought on the second read. Yeah, I maybe my problem there is... Are, is there yeah. are like... There, there are faults, you know? There's and, some and big not just, problems. Not just that Carl Siskera gets Photoshop, and that's a fault in and of itself. <laughs> um, Welcome to Drock, our monthly read-through of Judge Dredd, The Complete Case Files. I am Jeff Lester, and with me, my talented, sensible, and ever-critically uh, acute comrade. Again, I don't know who you're talking about, I'm, but I'm Graham McMillan. Hi, everyone. Hello, and we are coming from you to you live from late-lamented Larry King block. Uh, normally... <laughs> As you know, that's very like Marvel. That's very Stanley as yeah, well. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It technically really is Larry King block, not late lamented Larry King block. Um, although I did, I did contemplate Larry King interviewing Danny Pewdie block as the as this more specific. People may know. I think I personally feel Graham tends to go more for the top of his head, who's in the news corner of the big Meg, whereas I tend to drive us around to brought to, for us to broadcast from some of the more obscure and literary, uh, mega blocks. But, um, but yeah, this one unavoidable. We're coming to you late lamented Larry King block, a, a person who I think was married to judge dread briefly. So I think is, I think is a, an appropriate choice. <laughs> There's a story that I wish I could have read. <laughs> it's, you know, I got to say. Because you know that, like, Larry King would have proposed and Red would have arrested him. <laughs> it would be We're great. not allowed personal attachments, creep. And then, like, he just <laughs> threw him in jail. And it would have ended with Larry King trying to interview the guy in the next, the next Isaac right, Cube. Right. The, the, yeah. Coming to me, coming to you live from the Isaac Cube. I'm Larry King. Uh former spouse of Judge Dredd. Yeah, I just love the idea that Larry King is that is that obsessed with it. <laughs> just that obsessed. Can't can't let it go. Lord. In, case you, in case you can't tell everyone, 
we're recording on the day that Larry King died. <laughs> um, we are doing Judge Dredd, The Complete Case Files, Volume 21 this time. It is 2008 Progs 888 through 915 and Magazine Volume 2, 57 through 68. And they were published in, uh, I think it's 94. Yeah, 1993 and 1994. Mm-hmm. For the most part, John Magner's writing these ones. Uh, yes. Although Alan McKenzie, Dan Abnett, Chris Stanley are also uh, involved and there's an army of artists carlos iscara does a bunch of it you've also got a lot of ron smith in here trevor hersine does a lot of uh, john burns is in there ian gibson's in there mick austin's in here there's there's a lot of peter doherty and yeah, there's, there's and a trevor hersine is that is that yeah. how you say his last trevor name Hersine. Yeah. yeah very important for the latter half of our discussion or maybe Two thirds of the discussion, because this yeah, is... we, we, we'll see. It's it's okay. So, volume twenty one, we have been doing this for a while, and it has been half of it has been two thousand eight, and half of it has been magazine. Mm-hmm. Volume twenty one is a, a lot of two thousand eight, but part of that is because the second half of this book is all a crossover. It's one crossover storyline, which gets ramped up in the magazine and then becomes the proper crossover between two thousand eight and the magazine. Right. I suspect that's going to be the majority of our conversation, to be perfectly honest. Yes. It is uh, one story, essentially, that is 200 pages, 200 plus pages, out of the 325 pages of, of Volume 21. So it's a uh, big chunk. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of stuff here. And that is a lot of it. It's funny. I, I don't want to jump the gun. But that crossover, Wilderlands, felt very much like an old school Judge Dredd story. Certainly mm-hmm. uh, in, in good ways, I, I should say. <laughs> it, it was very reminiscent to me of Judge Child and of The Cursed Earth. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot about this volume that felt old school. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. even before you get there, the 2008 material that isn't part of the crossover, even the Wagner stuff feels old school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got guides to mega speak. Which is, you know, omniscient narrator introducing some of the concepts in Mega City One and Dread kind of illustrating it. Judge Death, the true story, is much more comedic than we've seen, especially from Wagner mm-hmm. recently. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, there is an old school feel to this book. Yeah. 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 And part of that may be, you know, Ron Smith out of the what looks like approximately 10 stories before we get into the crossover. Um, Smith does uh, two of them, or maybe I guess more considering rad blood is actually a two part or three part story written by Dan Abnett, but, but drawn by Smith and uh, reading this through uh, the first time was pretty great because it was because the second half is such a big mega event for the most part it is it's all John Wagner and a huge chunk of it is Carlos Esquera with uh, Trevor Ursine doing the art for the mega zine stories and um and so how do I put it I found myself I I kind of devoured it like a, a big old burger and afterwards patted my tummy and felt incredibly content um, because I I think the previous volumes of the Complete Case Files um, tended to run incredibly uh, variable. 
Um, yes, yes. You know, whereas... Yeah, I mean, this is, for better or worse, the, more, the most consistent volume we've had in a while. Yes, absolutely. Uh, but then I did find myself um, hitting a couple of stumbles on my reread. And the first stumble was moving into, and, and this is where hopefully the circularity won't confuse everything, but essentially the pre-event part of the book, the first 120 pages or so, were perfectly cromulent the first time I read them. The second time, they felt like a real slog, uh, especially after having read Wilderlands. And then... um but then, interestingly enough, when I got to Wilderlands for the second time, I found myself being kind of restless, unsettled, mm -hmm. maybe discontent, I guess, in a number of things that 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 were kind of hard to peg down. I think I think you mentioning the Judge Child and the Cursed Earth, like I think we really do. Out of fairness, should talk about the lead-in stories first before we talk to the. No, I, I I think we should. There are ten non-Wilderland stories. Yes, in this book, they're all from 2080, and as I said, they're they're from like 888 through I think it's 903. That's right. And then it goes. Then the, the remaining book goes into crossovers, and they're all very slight. Even the Wagner ones. Mm -hmm. There, there's arguably one that is not, and that's Conspiracy of Silence, right? Which is, for all intents and purposes, part of Wilderland. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. You know, it, it, mm -hmm. it's very much a prologue, as much, if not more so, as the story that it labels as a prologue. Very much so, yeah. But you know, otherwise, you have you got a couple of Alan McKenzie stories. They're terrible. Sorry, it's just one Alan McKenzie yeah, story. Yeah, that's it's right. Still terrible. Yes, I should just say that. Um, <laughs> You have Chris Stanley, who is a relatively obscure 2080 writer, mm -hmm. doing doing some material, which is fine. But Dan Abnett doing some material, a young Dan Abnett, I presume, yeah. doing some material that is, again, fine. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, the Wagner material is also fine. Yeah, yeah. There's There's some interesting things about it. Wagner's fascination at this period with time machines is weird. Mm -hmm. Two stories have time machines as the hook. Mm -hmm. And also time machines that connect oh, sorry, three stories of time machines but two of the time machine stories connect the present day to Mega City 1. Mm -hmm. Which is kind of strange. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's the third time machine story which is the longest continual chapter in this book, Casualties of War, which is a crossover between Judge Dredd and Rogue Trooper. But it's very possible, Jeff, you as someone who's not read Rogue Trooper, might not have known that. <laughs> you know, because of the way it's done. Right. It's, it's, it's the most understated crossover you could imagine. But also, it's a crossover that doesn't really do anything. You know, it's funny you mention that, Graham, because... I thought that it did do, I think, for me, like it was uh, like a reverse backdoor pilot, you know, like Casualties of War, like Chance to Seize on a Story is a very long story uh, by 2018. Like yeah. yeah, it is. It, it was essentially, I think, the entirety of Prague 900 for 2000 yes. AD. One story, John Wagner 
art by John Higgins. It is a crossover slash team up. It is basically a rogue trooper, uh, judge Shred team up. And I think I'm assuming that the goal and intent was to get the regular readers of dread invested in the new slightly Byzantine confusing um, rogue trooper uh, continuity because the rogue trooper that we see there is not necessarily the rogue that, that was the quote unquote classic rogue. Yeah, but, no, no, it's, it's the reboot rogue. Yeah. But as the reboot rogue does a certain number of things to, I guess, make the character enticing and interesting. Like I did walk away from casualties of war being like, Oh yeah, I want to read more about this guy. And which is kind of interesting. Cause I think that, um, what is weird uh, is at the same time, I walked away from casualties of war being like, man, nobody other than John Wagner really could have pulled that off because do, oh, that's interesting. Do you think he pulled it off? Because I, I think Casualties War is kind of a mess. It's coherent, I guess, mm-hmm. but it's it's really unexciting to me. You know, I I and get also, it. Like, yeah, weirdly, yeah. it weirdly confusing. Mm-hmm. I feel mm-hmm. like he doesn't give enough context to the Rogue Trooper side of things. Mm-hmm. It feels like a crossover for, in an American comic sense, if that makes yes, sense. Yes, exactly. And that's kind of that's kind of how – why I think and how it works is there's a lot that is in there that is unexplained, I suppose. There's the sense that there is – like even as someone like me who read at least one if not two of the complete – Rogue Troopers, you know, the early Rogue Troopers stuff by um, Jerry Finley Day and Dave Gibbons. And like there's there's a lot that's in there that's different from that. And it's like there is it's 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 the closest thing I think we've ever seen in Dread or at least I've ever seen in Dread of a 2000 AD issue of Marvel team up where it's like, yeah, exactly. You know, it's it's very much like. The story has a contrivance for Dread and Rogue to meet. There's a story that sets up the bad guy. There's a reason that sets up, you know, there's conflict so that the the heroes have to fight, but they also have to help each other. And then they both have to face down against a bad guy and it's all got to be wrapped up super quickly. So following the Marvel team up template, I kind of largely liked it. In part because I was like, oh, yeah, there are things here that uh, I, I, I do like science fiction war. I think I think Wagner's got a pretty good handle on it. The best part of that story for me is at one point. So for people who necessarily do or don't care about this stuff, what happens is uh a, a, a ship in order to escape being um, destroyed by the Norts, a Souther, Souther ship, 
does a last minute desperate time jump to jump back in time, manages to come to Mega City One and essentially get 48 hours uh, where they're allowed to um, patch up their stuff, rest, recon, and everyone can recover. And in exchange, Mega City One gets 48 hours of, of access to the tech. The commanding officer is in the process of getting ready to put Rogue Trooper to death as a traitor. Rogue cannot remember what has happened. He has some sort of amnesia and uh, cannot defend himself. Everyone assumes that he is guilty. Dread either sensing that something's amiss or as someone points out, maybe feeling a certain amount of sympathy for a fellow clone, um, help assigns a telepath from side division to help unblock rogues memories. And of course, in true rogue trooper fashion, you find out the commanding officer is a traitor who sold them all down the river, uh, and rogue in the process of trying to get back and warn his, uh, division, um, gets caught in the crossfire and barrage of artillery ends up losing his memory. So um, he's being set up to be killed before he can even re remember his memories. Um, Dread, of course, has ended up spoiling that plan. Um, Rogue breaks loose to try and get revenge. Dread is trying to, of course, you know, because now Rogue is an escaped fugitive and breaking the law, alternately trying to stop him, hinder him, and semi-help him. And then I think the, the real thing that ends up happening that is the bummer and also the biggest um, take nab from a Marvel team-up is in two or three pages that almost feel like they should have been drawn by Sal Basima, the villain basically outs himself as the bad guy and then more or less explodes rather than doing having the chance to do anything interesting. Um, so like I said, for me, the best part was the flashback where Rogue is on recon on an alien planet and, you know, has to is crawling through like venusian brush or whatever and has yeah, yeah. To... the rogue trooper chapter yeah exactly was i was like oh right i do like this stuff like i don't and and there was even a little few touches of of like oh and he's even got his talking buddies and his equipment it's just they are they're little more than cameos at that point. So, yeah, yeah. so there's just enough there to give you the taste of like, this is a little bit of what rogue troopers like. We're not necessarily going to spill it all for you, but if it's tantalizing enough, you should go check that out. Um, it sounds to me, at least from checking, from reading the um, hot Zog, the 2000 AD book that um, it's not, it's not really called Hot Zog. Thrill Power Overload. Oh, yeah. Right. Of course. Also known as Hot Zog to the Insider Scrum. Uh, is that, that Rogue Trooper was a mess of a relaunch. And, yeah. So, it, yeah. you know, you said this was kind of to get people to, to sort of tune in to the, the yeah. reboot. Right. It's worth pointing out. The reboot happened five years earlier. <laughs> 
But they were going to do Ga- another Gadget one. Is that then, it's that, published that, in 94. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. The reboot happened in 1989. Yeah, but wasn't there another one that totally fell through? The Miller Weston one? Or was that, that... Was after. That's the one that starts the issue after Casualties of War. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's what I'm saying. Like, that was supposed to be... The big but thing that's, un- follow, that's right? unrelated to this. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that sucks. So, yeah. So Yeah, it's, it's this weird thing where... Because for me, a fan of the original Rogue Trooper, who not so much a fan of the reboot, and honestly, someone who hasn't read a lot of the reboot stuff. Right. Because Gibbons does, for all intents and purposes, the origin story, mm-hmm. and then leaves. And Michael Fleischer comes on and writes... <laughs> just the worst shit yeah what's funny to me about casual war is it i wasn't even initially sure which rogue trooper wagner was writing mm-hmm. and it, one of the problems is that i'm not sure he was sure mm-hmm. which one was writing. Mm-hmm. you know so it's possible that fleischer restored a lot of the stuff from the original mm-hmm. but definitely gibbons rebooted it Mm-hmm. Like, I don't remember the Souther's and the Norts. I thought that was from the original one. Mm-hmm. It feels like Wagner's writing both versions of Rogue Trooper simultaneously. Right. But so not actually writing the Rogue from either of them. Mm. Generic, you know, amnesiac action hero. Right. Who has, it feels like a Rogue Trooper reboot that isn't really thought through. Mm-hmm. But there's so little of the rogue in there Mm -hmm. that I guess it functions as Judge Dredd's story, but there's honestly so little of Judge Dredd in there that it just fails us both. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, I I, I think Casualty's War is kind of a mess. Oh, it's a huge mess. And also, I don't think John Higgins' artwork is particularly good for it. No, and in fact, it's... Higgins' artwork is not only not great, it also seems like two different artists half the time. Like I really found myself being like, is this, is he just alternating styles or cause you know, some of it seems sort of semi almost painted and some of it seems like almost flat line work with like sort of a heavy color brush. I, yeah. I, I don't know how much of that is stylistic or how much of it is for want of a better way of putting it, trying to do this Simon Bisley thing. Yeah. Right. It was Bisley did a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Bisley did a lot of, is it fully painted? Is it colored line work? Right. Is it is it just black and white line work in mm-hmm. the middle for a panel? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It feels very much like maybe that's what Higgins is trying to do. Which is weird because I feel like Higgins is much more assured, has been much more assured of an artist yes. up until now. Like that was... A huge mess. Like it to me, it felt like this idea of he was he was like originally signed on to do half the story, and then found out that he was going to have to do the other half as well, or something. Like it really feels. Or, or there's you know there was an incredible deadline crunch. Yes, very much so. Or, or both. You know, it's it's very possible that he signed on thinking it was going to be a regular Judge Dredd story, mm-hmm. and then like actually it's thirty pages. It's not six. Absolutely, it's five times as much. Yeah, but your deadline's still Tuesday. Exactly. And he was like, oh shit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But it is. It's it's an ugly strip. Yeah. Also, John Higgins, uh, his color sense is very much his own. 
mm. for want of a better way of putting it. Yes. But it's even more awry in that story. Yeah. The colors in that story are fucking bonkers. Yeah, they really are. They really are. In in sections that I kind of like. Like when you go when you go into Rogue's flashback, it's I do adore that because it's insane. But then the present tense stuff is just as insane and and more nonsensical. Yeah, no, it's 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 a it is a mess. And again, it's as you point out, it's a for me. Like I said, I feel that John Wagner came as close to pulling it off as anyone could. But yeah, I would not say. I guess I wouldn't say that he pulls it off. It, it's such a shame mm-hmm. because. You know, we both have such respect for Wagner. Yeah. But honestly, like, I like Rogue Trooper as a concept a lot. Mm-hmm. I like the original Rogue Trooper a lot, a lot. Right. And it feels sort of especially disappointing that the crossover between Judge Dredd and Rogue Trooper is just so flat and such a mess. Especially when, and admittedly, this is for a Wagner ship, meaning a Wagner ship, Top Dog, the the Dread Strontium Dog crossover, the Wagner Road, mm-hmm. was fucking great. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, yeah, absolutely. It, it it really was. That one was fabulous. But I also feel like it was easier. You know what I mean? Like, first off, the other thing for me, I think, is because I'm not really aware of later Rogue Trooper stuff other than just what you've said and what they've said in Throw Power Overload, which was... That was basically a mess. I was, it was very easy to read Casualties of War and kind of assume that so there, much. It related to something. Yeah, that, right. That part of what was broken about it was whatever the fuck they were doing with Rogue Trooper at the time being broken. And I, and I think there's a lot to be said. It is an easier fit in some ways when you have a bounty hunter versus a cop as opposed to getting into the weird world of you've got a soldier and you've got a police officer, you know, like it doesn't, well, I, I think, I think there is a straightforward version of that story to tell, there but I think, that Wagner, I think Wagner makes it exceptionally difficult on himself yeah. with the time travel aspect, with the, you know, the traitor general, it's the other thing, the traitor general aspect of, of casualties of war. It's very much a reference to the original Trooper. Absolutely. Trooper yeah. is going after the traitor that, that yeah. betrayed them. Exactly. You know, that's the concept of this trip to begin with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, again, I'm, I was left going, is this intentional or is it unintentional? Like, what is what is Wagner referencing? What is Wagner unintentionally reusing? What is Wagner meaning to do, for want of a better way of putting it? And mm-hmm. I, I never, I didn't come up with an answer. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's so disappointing to me. Well, that's interesting. Because for me, I'm sort of like, oh, okay. Like, eh, Wagner's pulling the stuff that works. And he's got a new character. And so you can kind of put him in the back, in the, you know, put him back in that same spot for, like, one issue. Like, it's not like the rest of it makes sense. Like you said, there's no, there's very, there's very little context for Rogue being a, a Rogue Except for the parameters of this storyline. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he sort of shows up. He is being branded a traitor. He's going to be put to death. He literally has to escape and prove himself, you know, seek but, revenge, but again, prove like, his name. He's Rogue Trooper. 
Yeah. And it, maybe maybe this is part of continuity. Why is he with all the other soldiers to begin with? No, exactly. Like all of yeah. that stuff is just is was just weird to me. And maybe it was part of the continuity of the strip. Well, that's like Rogue Trooper yeah. as a strip, right? Was running like right up until eight ninety nine, and then continued mm-hmm. until nine oh three after that. Mm-hmm. So they're like it's in the middle of runs of Rogue Trooper, right? Right. So I don't but, know if editorial yeah, handed I, him a, you know, a like. It's, but it, it's messy reading it on its own. Yeah. And, and like I said, I'm not sure which Rogue Trooper he was writing. And I'm not sure if he was making up his own Rogue Trooper, whether there's enough Rogue Trooper there. Mm-hmm. But I will say, I don't think the sloppiness, for want of a better way of putting it, from Wagner there is is only in that story. Judge Death, the true story that follows, is two issues of what felt like maybe a one-off gag. Well, and it yeah. felt over long. The time machine yes. earlier in the book. Yeah. Again, which is what feels like a one-off gag. Yeah. And it feels like there is some level of, I don't know, disinterest, sloppiness, not being particularly engaged in the material, maybe because he was preparing for world drones. Because he is elsewhere in this book. Telling this longer story, telling this bigger story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I I don't know. I mean, I I have to say it, there are there are, and we'll get to it when we discuss the crossover. But there are some disturbing signs, and not disturbing is overstating it. But there are signs that the 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 Wagner that we have known and really grown to appreciate over all these volumes of 2000 AD is, um, how do I put it? He's become a little more Judge Magruder than Dredd over time. You know what I mean? Like he's... Yeah, I mean, it's, he's... Oh man, do we just move on to do we just move on to Wilderlands now? Um, yes, I but, well, almost. I, I want to because yeah. I do think that the Dan Abnett, the Chris Stradley, the Alan McKenzie written stuff is is fine, but there's not a lot more to say about it. It feels like filler. It reads like filler. Well, I mean, I think this is the challenge of, and it's part of why part of me is like, no, Graham, we should talk about it at least a little bit. Is it's interesting that that. It all, all of it, with the exception of Conspiracy of Silence, which is tied into Wilderlands, feels like filler. And what is weird about that and is probably worth cracking into, although I don't, I don't, I've been trying to figure out how to and I still haven't found an in, is how is it that in earlier volumes... Uh, if, if nothing else, during the heyday of Wagner Grant, which is maybe unfair, you could have non-continuity dread stories and they didn't feel like filler, but the stories here do. And, you know, I think there's a kind of interesting question possibly as to as to why I think, you know, Judge Death, the true story is one of those things that is a big uh, confusing flag because death is a reoccurring character at this point. And that was actually what I was going to point out is, is that everyone is trying to do uh, even, even Wagner in the time machine is trying to do the sort of um, story that Wagner and Grant used to do so easily. And my theory is 
the problem is that the formula is so thoroughly in place by now that you can tell when a story doesn't count. You know what I mean? Like, and that is something that you never really had with Wagner and Grant. Yeah. The problem is also the formula is really tired. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is, at this point, not only the Dread Weekly strip in 2008, but also in the magazine. Mm Mm-hmm. There is a lot of Dread material out there. Also, this is 2008 Proc 900, so there's been 900 earlier Dread stories. That's right. More if you include the magazine stories. That's right. The formula is tired. Mm-hmm. And I think Wagner is aware of that. Mm-hmm. The Time Machine, Conspiracy of Silence, Judge Death, The True Story, I don't like them. Mm-hmm. But they are outside of the formula. Sure. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, Wilderlands is speaks to a different formula, but it is outside of the Dread and Mega City One formula. Oh, very much so. We're very close to Wagner doing really interesting things by abandoning the formula altogether. Yes. You know, but you see from reading Dallin McKenzie, from reading Chris Stradley, from reading the Dan Abnett, the formula reads generic and meaningless. Yes. Because we know the rhythms by this point. Mm-hmm. And this might be particularly felt by you and I. Mm-hmm. You know, we're reading 400 pages of this monthly. Right. But also, I think anyone who had been, anyone who's grown up on Dread and is reading this at this point knows how all of these stories go. Mm-hmm. For for all that I don't like the Wagner stories in, in the first half of the book. And I, I, I don't really. Mm-hmm. I think they're they're not successful. I think they're slow. I think they they lack the humor or the type of humor that I expect from Wagner. Mm-hmm. And also the playing against conventions. Mm-hmm. Again, Time Machine, Judge Death, Cassius's War, even are not traditional dread stories, and that's to their benefit. Mm-hmm. But the ways in which they play against type are not particularly successful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wagner, as you and I enjoy him at his best, plays against type in such a way that it is surprising and fun. Yeah, you know, and we're like, oh, I didn't see that coming, but it's great. And sadly, I don't really think you can say that. Well, anything in the first half of the book, right? Which, and again, part of me is like, maybe Wagner's uh, strengths are kind of momentarily anyway. Uh, on the wane, you know, because because you're right. I think I, I'm always mystified by the idea that Judge Death is supposed to be a largely comical character. You know, um, I was sort of able to handle it in the, the Batman Judge Dread crossover because sort of everything just kind of seemed insane. Like it definitely helped that Bisley was there. Yes, yeah, yeah, it, you know? it, it is. Very cartoony book, yeah. Yeah, but but reading, you know, the the Judge Death, the Untold Story stuff, I was just, I found myself being like, but why? And there is a little bit of that where I don't really understand in a way why one of the scariest, weirdest, creepiest potential villains more or less come becomes like a weird comical cut up thing other than I think everyone being aware that the characters essentially no one's ever going to out Boland Boland. And so everyone has to pivot and the next pivot is like weirdly cartoonish serpent guy or something, 
You know what I mean? Like it just doesn't. And so, so I find myself, whether it's casualties of war or even the time machine, which is just a weirdly unwitty piece of what's supposed to be a largely funny dread story that is unfunny in the way that Wagner dread stories um, usually are never unfunny. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. It's, it's just as unfunny as the, as the stuff happening in the clumsy dude block or the, the, I mean, uh, by contrast, I would say that there's a good case to be made that the Dan Abnett, um, body part stealing story with the art by John Burns is is almost a better Wagner story in that first half than than any of Wagner's stories that aren't the conspiracy of silence, you know? Yeah, it's it's genuinely strange. Mm-hmm. That the, the, the Wagner stories do just feel they just feel unsteady in a way that again, we're not used to seeing Wagner like this. No, not at all. Not at all. It's it's weird. Like maybe for the first couple of issues after he and Grant split, you know, but but not even those didn't seem quite as shaky. And the thing that I think is interesting is then when we hit uh, Wilderlands, you know, which, like I said, is the next more or less 200 pages of the book, there's such a sense of relief um, in a way, and I got to the end of it, and I was like, "Yeah, a classic rip and yarn mega prog." And then, I don't know. Over the course of the next and, day, and then you reread it. Yeah. yeah well, I, I thought about it, and then when I reread it, I was like, "Oh, okay, yeah." And then I put it down again, and almost immediately, I'm like, "But no, I don't." Yeah, it, it's it's such an it's such an odd sort of almost um like self-negating story Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. oh yeah 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 yeah. i mean it's weird how much it has a lot of the it has some of the best aspects of wagner's best progs but sadly mega progs but also all of the worst like you said like the the there's so many problems with the ending there's so many problems with things that are set up that don't okay so, so let's, let's talk about let's wrap this up before mm-hmm. we get to 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 wilderlands mm-hmm. and, and i think it's fair to say that both of us are i mean dramatically unimpressed by the first half of this book yes yeah to the point where it, it, it was kind of a painful reread yeah yeah it, it is actually a painful reread and 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 the problem is for me at least it's not that it's bad it's just that it's also not good. Mm-hmm. And honestly, boring dread yeah. feels like the worst sin. <laughs> no, it's totally true. I think that could be part of the problem why, I mean, apart from just some really terrible art, I think that's part of why Ennis's dread seem to be have seem to be more of a shame and more disappointing than Miller and Morrison, which were arguably, you know, like like you said, at least they, it wasn't boring. So yeah, the first first hundred and twenty pages of the book are pretty boring, and that's shocking in part because there's a good chunk of it that is by Wagner, and it's Wagner and Escara. But apart from the, and this is not drawn by Escara, but apart from 
the conspiracy of silence uh, lead in with art by Mark Harrison. Um, yeah, it's just it's just kind of dull. Do we want to talk about? Well, okay. Before we get there, if you had to pick the best of the worst from the first part of this book and no, from from the initial 2000 AD things yeah. what's the best of it and i can't say conspiracy of silence that's correct then i'm probably picking a guide to mega speak hmm. okay. because it is it's, i mean it's astonishingly old-fashioned to the point where it feels very much like a script that might have existed 10 years earlier yeah absolutely and it's just been illustrated mm-hmm. but it's it's over quickly and it's it's relatively successful sure sure i get that I get that. For me, I think I was going to say I part exchange um, or weirdly casualties of war. I found myself at various points being more engaged in both of those in ways that I wasn't in l- literally anything. Yeah, else. yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything else. Yeah. In this, mm-hmm. this volume. Yeah. For it's sure. it's so it's so disappointing. Mm-hmm. Like it's so shockingly disappointing mm-hmm. because again. It's just dull. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And dull is dull is rough. Dull is very, very rough to deal with when it comes to dread. Mm-hmm. I think I would rather have, like you said, the bad Morrison and Miller. Because there's something about its badness. Yeah, there's there's something about the badness, and I think there's something about even when they they miss the point of dread or they insist on a certain aspect or viewpoint of dread that doesn't doesn't quite work that at least gives you something to push against but there's not yeah. really anything that is off model about say rad blood or tv babies they're just it, you know it, it, it feels, you know, like you were saying, it feels like it exists to a formula. Yeah. And we are so familiar with the formula yeah, at this point. For sure. That they basically might as well not exist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because we could have, you know, we could have imagined these stories ourselves. We could have dreamt these stories in Judge Dread fever dreams. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. For sure. You know, and that's, that's, that is a problem. Yeah. Like, that's what, a, a real problem. For these. What's interesting is that it, it for for you and me, like you said, part of it is as we as we read this stuff, it is a problem because we're reading so much of it closely together. But is it a problem? Like you know what I mean? Like for two thousand AD, is it more important that they get a um, an ability to crank out reliable Judge Dread uh, product? Like, you you know what I mean? Like, there there comes a point where, and again, part of the amazing thing about, about Dread is that Wagner, like, it was a strip that seemed to not really hit its growing pains after the first 18 months until year 13 or year 14, you know? Because then all of a sudden people are like, oh, holy shit, what... What is this character? Who's this character? How do we how do we tell a Judge Dredd story? Yeah. And so on the one hand, there's sort of this isn't quite as successful as I think we'll see a later batch of Dread writers become in terms in terms and and probably Dread editors 
in terms of being able to crank out a good Judge Dredd story or or rather, you know, a really good Judge Dredd story. But as far as turning out dull, not bad stories, isn't that arguably an improvement? And isn't that sort of a something that characters that are around for 20, 30, 40 years? I mean, not only is that a necessary stage, but you know, kind of a, a, at least for the corporate bottom line, a good sign? I don't know. I see exactly what you're saying. And I think looking at it in terms of, you know, corporate properties, Mm -hmm. you're probably right. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, I think if by coming up with the competent story, you make the character seem more boring, Mm -hmm. I think you're devaluing the character Mm -hmm. in a way that is, is... deeply problematic to their long-term viability Mm -hmm. well i I mean on the one hand i agree and certainly you know this is the point this is this is right on the cusp of the judge dread stallone movie is it out yeah it's coming out it's It's, it's like a year before yeah it's a it's the year before right and 2000 ad is kind of under siege like it has been was a huge success and it is it is collapsing you know they're not pulling in their new readers anymore they have they're worried about that they're trying to figure out how this may be around the time they launched their ridiculously um hugely the, the expensive horrible ad campaign yeah exactly you know so they you know there's an awareness that you know they're already kind of in that mix. Uh, but, and there's a point at which, like, yeah, on the one hand, I see your point and I agree with it. But there's also, as a guy who comes from the, the world of American superhero comics, like, you have to at least be able to give the the faithful what they want. You know what I mean? Like, it, especially for a property where it's not owned by its creators, and you've got to be able to have something or someone in place, you know, as it is, they felt pretty lucky, understandably and justifiably lucky to have Wagner back and doing the character, you know, um, in a weird way, I sort of feel like this does lead us into to wilder lands um, because uh, in a way there's. I don't, I, it's, it's, you know me, I'm fond of meta text. I don't think that this is as strong, um, a deliberate meta textual reading as some other stories, but the idea, you know, the cusp of the problem, you know, Wilderlands is essentially the playing out of the confrontation between Dredd and Magruder and Magruder is been for several several storylines now insistent and obsessed with the idea of literally automating the judges and dread being like this is not a good idea you cannot do this and on the one hand what's great about this is i really do think that wagner has crafted a story where that is for lack of a better term you know that's what that's what it's about i'm not saying that that Wagner really is playing out a story in which he's saying like, Hey, you know, 
when you get to the battle of corporate product versus individual vision, like the corporate product in a way is going to win, you know, but it also loses a, a lot in doing so is, you know, it might be, grant me that kernel of subtext, Graham, even no, though I, I, I think, I think that's a complete, I think that's a reasonable thing. I think it's a really appropriate subtext and also would explain why Wagner keeps going back to the mechanism of mm-hmm. the plot, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. uh, and, and considering his relationship with, uh, I guess it was Fleetway at this point. Mm-hmm. Perhaps considering his relationship with the people who are owning 2080 and Dread right, at this point, right? Uh, and considering the way that Mechanismal ends, I think that I think there's a lot to that subtext. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, well that's that's a re- that is a relief to hear because I'm always like always worried when I go out on the subtextual limbs there. But interestingly enough, Wilder, Wilderlands is it, I feel that Wagner for the most part is when in doubt, figure out a way to to bring in a new aspect of the Western for Dread to explore. And I feel like Wilderlands is a crazy swerve for that, in that sense. Because it, with Conspiracy of Silence, there are a lot of threads that are being drawn together. Essentially... Dread has learned that the that Magruder is continuing to develop the mechanismo plan. That there are, in fact, judges who want Dread to join them in having Magruder removed by hook or by crook. And on the flip side, you have Magruder who has learned that Dread has sabotaged the mechanismo Mach two uh, program lied about it and now she knows and so what ends up happening is i guess that's the prologue is everyone's cards are placed on the table um and when confronted with the truth dread admits it he admits that he sabotaged the program uh literally throws down his gun and his badge and says to Magruder of Magruder, if you're what Justice Department has come to, I want no part of it. So you get Dread arrested, Magruder angrily uh, upset, um, basically more or less uh, says like, you know, uses the shock of Dread having betrayed his principles more or less after all the judges would back him as the replacement judge uses the shock of that to dissipate the, um, the council that is trying to convince her that she's in the wrong and should be stepped down, should step down. And, uh, dread is in chains to be taken to Titan. Um, and then comes essentially the swerve that is the, the cusp of Wilderlands, which is, that um, Magruder is on <laughs> a mission to the planet of Hestia, a colony planet um, to that is where uh, a, a planet that has been discovered that has after, I don't know, is it 10 years of colonization, a mere 17,000 people uh, able to put up, uh, survive in its um, 
relatively brutal extremes and circumstances. She is going on a diplomatic mission to try and sell them the Mechanismo automated judges um, in part to undercut the costs of the, the steep costs of development of the Mechanismos. So her goal is to go on that mission, bring Dredd along as prisoner and drop him off at Titan on the way back. And uh, hijinks ensue from there, essentially, Graham. Uh, do you want to take over recapping or talking about things? I, I want to talk about it a bit mm -hmm. more. So one of the things about Conspiracy of Silence is that it, it is very much a moving pieces into position story as opposed to, to – like it, it advances the story but it offers no resolution. Yeah. You know? Uh, and as such, it is literally just the prologue to the prologue of Wilderlands. Yes. So much so that it's very odd to me that it is collected entirely separately in this book from mm -hmm. the rest of Wilderlands. Because I feel like it should be right there. Mm -hmm. In a strange way, it foreshadows one of the problems I have with Wilderlands as like the grand overarching thing. Mm -hmm. Which is, it simultaneously, as an as a overarching story, simultaneously tries to argue that Dread is the best of the judges mm -hmm. while illustrating why Dread is actually terrible. <laughs> Wait, Just which one? Conspiracy of, of, of Silence? All, all of them. All of them. All okay. Of them. Uh -huh. Because Dread is simultaneously the most moral of the judges, mm -hmm. the most morally upright, but he's not so morally upright that he will actually go against the rules. Mm -hmm. Dread knows very clearly by the end of Conspiracy of Silence that basically what Magruder is doing is wrong. Mm -hmm. The other judges come to him and say, stand with us and say this publicly. And he's like, oh, the rules now. Right. Like, it's, you guys shouldn't even be talking about this. That's against the rules. And the rules don't let me do this, so I'm not going to do it. Mm -hmm. And so, and we talked about this before. In in When we talk about uh, Bury My Knee Wounded Heart, mm -hmm. we talk about Dread's cowardice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And honestly, Conspiracy of Silence mm -hmm. and Prologue to, to Wilderlands really show how much of a coward Dredd is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because he do literally does not have the courage of his convictions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, hmm. yes. I... He, he only does insofar as he's willing to quit. Right. No, he's willing right. to quit but and he he's willing quitting, to go. Yeah. But he knows that quitting is not quitting. He knows that quitting is going to put him in Titan. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's not like he's quitting in order to achieve something. He literally just goes, ah, well, the rule, you know, what are you going to do? The rules don't let me do this. And that's incredibly frustrating for me. Mm. And it's, it's particularly frustrating coming from Wagner. Hmm. Because I think you could make the point that, that the Necropolis cycle mm -hmm. actually makes an argument that Dread is principled enough. To go against the rules. You know, I think that's actually a, an interesting point because I think that they're part of why Wilderlands works for me is the idea that dread has changed, you know, and which is part of what, you know, is that thing that, that Wagner does with dread that is really interesting is he doesn't he it's rare that he lays it out on the line but you can see things happen that show the dread to me dread choosing to act the way that he acts is 
closer to a dread that has gone through Necropolis and more or less has regretted what he has done. Like he's aware there are some points that he will not cross and he will not join a conspiracy of judges to overthrow the chief judge. He is not willing to let himself do that. But whether that is because he is a coward um, or that he has a, that his, there's, there is an awareness of who he is and who he cannot be. And so I think the parts of, of, from Conspiracy of Silence and, and what runs through the first part of Wilderlands, which is so interesting, is seeing two characters, Magruder and Dredd, who know one another and essentially want something from the other that they know the other is incapable of giving them. You know? Yes, yes. That that's that's one of the things I really like about at least the run up. Mm-hmm. That that Dredd and Magruder really do know each other incredibly well. And one of the reasons why they're so upset is both are disappointed in the other one. Yes. Yeah. Because they're both like I know you want the best for this city. Mm-hmm. Why the fuck can't you see that what I'm doing is the best for the city? That's right. And that's that's actually, that's a really interesting dynamic. And honestly comes across when they finally talk about it openly. Mm-hmm. But when in the first in the, the prologue to, to Wilderlands, mm-hmm. when they, they finally are able to actually talk about it, mm-hmm. it makes the dynamics so much more interesting because it makes the dynamics so much clearer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That what it really is, is not, you know, Dredd is about to betray the chief judge, but that both of them are genuinely upset, like emotionally upset mm-hmm. that the other one can't see it their way. Yeah. And, and, and the fact that they, how do I put it? They also, they're upset, but they're, neither of them are, hmm, how do I put it? Necessarily surprised, but they're very frustrated and it shows in certain ways. Like Magruder being the more emotion, openly emotional of the two is the one who keeps basically saying at a certain point, look, let's put this behind us. Just put the badge on, say it was a mistake, and and that you'll back me I, I, and everything I, I will be that. fine. I do too. I do too. I, I love that. I love that Magruder is angry. Yes. And it's just like, just fucking admit you changed your mind. Mm-hmm. Everything's fine. We can make this okay. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Just say it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's that's great. Yeah, and and that makes Magruder so much more interesting as a character. Oh yeah, that she's not scheming, mm-hmm. that she's not. I'm going to plot the downfall of Dread. Right. She is much more interested in. I don't. I genuinely don't want to do this. Right. No, absolutely. Like, if you're not with me or against me, but I don't want you against me. Yes, exactly. And so in that sense, where Wilderlands works the best to me is that idea that she cannot quite bring herself. She knows she has to, but she keeps 
So the idea that rather than just send Dread to Titan, that she's going to drag him to Hestia first and that she's going to keep inviting him into the chambers and be like, hey, let's just put this behind us. We've worked together before. Let's keep doing this. You know, it to me, it's kind of it's one of those areas where the first half of Witherlands works really well for me. And the second half is where it really falls apart. And it's perhaps no surprise that that is the point where more or less Magruder exits the narrative as, you know, a conscious character anyway. Um, And you move into like a completely different type of story. So here's the thing. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. I think as soon as Magruder... Is, is removed from the narrative as as a conscious figure. Mm-hmm. The story drops. I mean, to all intents and it becomes a different story. Like Wilderlands, the story that's called Wilderlands, the actual crossover event, once right. you get past all the build up, is a different story. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's a let's survive quest story that has its own faults, which we'll come back to. Right. But one of the things that I have the biggest problem with, mm-hmm. with this whole cycle, is the resolution of the Magruder plot. Mm-hmm. Well, see, and 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 you mean at the end of Wilderlands? Yes. Yes. I, I, yeah. I, spoilers, everyone. The the crash that starts Wilderlands, the crash that knocks Magruder out for the entire story, and you know someone has sabotaged the ship, but yada yada. Turns out to be one of the mechanismos. The idea that that is enough for Magruder to go well looks like I was wrong. Just it rings entirely hollow to me. Absolutely, no, 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 entirely. The so, idea of the recruiter is paranoid, right? And yet, just accepts that. I is, think, yeah, I, 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 you know, there is the the epilogue where it's strongly suggested, if not outright stated, that she doesn't accept it. That she thinks it was part of a conspiracy. It ameliorates that a bit, but also makes it worse. You know, because... Because why else would she quit? Oh, yeah, so, so sorry, to, get, to finish off my spoiler. Mm-hmm. Recruiter quits. Yeah. Recruiter, like, guess you're right, Joe. Yes. Those robots can't be trusted. I'm going to quit. Yep. And that's so disappointing. Very <laughs> much so. Yeah. Disappointing. Yeah. Well, because, uh, um, yeah, I, so... the. So what I was going to say is I I feel that one of the things that I that Wilderlands does that is perhaps because Wagner is a little not on top of his game as much is you can kind of see the joints in a way that that made me realize in the past one of the things that Wagner really does well when he's crafting a big mega prog super event story is he will change gears and change gears dramatically and if he does it right it manages to throw either more characters into the soup or more situations into the mix without resolving the original problem and therefore it sort of heightens the tension. You know what I mean? Like, so one of the things that's amazing to me is you start with conspiracy of silence. You get to this point that's been building where Magruder and dread have their big showdown. Dread is taken away in chains and is going to be sent to Titan. Then suddenly 
they are flying to a space planet so that Magruder can like share, uh, you know, sell these settlers on the idea of the mechanism um, as buying them as their own protectors for these these colonizers and homesteaders. In the course of doing that is a sort of diplomacy goodwill tour. You get this, you get a lot of classic semi cursed earth shenanigans of creepy monsters, tough situations, hard living. And at every stage, it's kind of this weird, it, it, <coughs> excuse me, it moves further and further away from the conflict that is the 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 peril of the story without without moving away from it. So in other words, it's kind of by the time you get to the point for me where it's like the someone has sabotaged the ship, they crash into like literally a lava bed and Dread is in chains. Magruder has been knocked out. The ship is sinking. Judge Castillo, who's an important, super important character who we are just now talking about, who is um, the aide-de-camp of Magruder, uh, is forced to, of course, you know, help Dread, you know, semi-free Dread so that Dread can do the right thing and they run about saving people. I was like... Oh, this is great. Like you're you're literally so far away from where the the core of the story started in this volume even. You are so far away from dread pulling into a, a motor garage and and meeting with five judges who want to overthrow the chief judge. Like it's that classic like this is not the story that I thought that I had signed up for. And there's so much that has weirdly ramped up the tension. Like you've got secondary characters like the fourth generation settler of the planet who who feels more like an inhabitant of the planet and not tied to the other colonizers and who is being ordered to go back to Earth and study and become quote unquote more human. Like you've got all this stuff that's just like, to me... Wagner at his most fun is like, here's the big story hook and, but here's what I'm throwing on top of it, which is not related to the story at all, but feels like another story, but I'm never letting you forget. Like I'm making a point to point out, I've not forgotten that this original story is back here. And when it works, the endings become these incredibly satisfying sort of ways of narratives crashing into other narratives, at least genre-wise, or catharses and climaxes of multiple different types of storylines that kind of, you know, click together. And the thing that you said is Witherlands falls apart like... At its just base, Agatha Christie, who shot the pilots, now they're on this hellscape and nobody knows that they've been shipwrecked and no one's ever going to come for them and there's somebody killing them off one by one. What the hell is happening? Plus, the the entire planet is turned against them. Like, 
goes from that to somehow just resolving in the limpest way. Like it, it, it I mean the resolution and we're kind of jumping forward significantly, but the resolution of this story is so underwhelming. Yeah. I mean, genuinely underwhelming. Well, see, they, and that's they, it. They it's just get rescued. Yeah. And then Magruder just quits. Right. Right. And at each stage of it, you're like, wait, that's the, you know, it's almost, it. it's as if Wagner took the lamest, easiest out but because he's essentially four stories deep at this part, he pulls the lamest four endings for each of his different stories. And so it's quadruply underwhelming, which he's never really quite done before. But the idea that Magruder, to, to just talk about this, the conflict between her and Dredd, is they're both immovable objects. Wagner's solution is essentially to have Magruder realize that she was wrong. What is problematic about it is, is he does not craft circumstances that convince you that Magruder would be convinced that she's yeah, wrong. Yeah, that's, it, that's the problem. The, problem yeah. well, the, the other problem is he just removes Magruder from the story. Yeah. Which honestly is, is the wrong choice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to go, they've crashed Dread, even though he isn't a judge, it's still the judgiest judge of all and the only one who can save them. Right. Fine. That's right. that's a solid enough story hook. I will yeah. go along with that. Right. But by then going, and Magruder is unconscious for the entire story and is going to die, removes Dread's foil. Yeah. You know, he, he has other people's, you know, for want of a better way of putting it, lesser judges step up and go, you're a criminal. Right. But then they get fucking killed. Well, not only do they get killed, but it's it's it it's easier for Wagner. It's easier for Dredd because these are the guys, one of the things that's established is Castillo is a, a relatively young judge who more or less had kind of a crisis of confidence. She froze one of her partners died as a result of it, and she is removed from active duty. And so all of the judges that are accompanying Magruder are essentially the office jockeys, the judges that couldn't cut it on the streets. And so it's super easy. It's it's easy pickings for Dread to be like, shut up, you're going to do what I'm going to say. And they're, they do their sniveling like, oh, we'll teach you. And there is some interesting, there's a sequence where Dredd gets into trouble and he's like, help me out. And the guy's like, you know, give me a hand. And the guy's like, oh, just clapping. Like there's, there's fun, there's various fun moments in there that sort of work, uh, that work, but are entirely secondary to what was happening with um, Magruder and Dredd up to that point, which is essentially that you see that they are two characters that can't, that have themselves in checkmate as much as each other. Like, as it becomes more and more apparent that Magruder, as much as she threatens and keeps trying to control Dredd into joining her, 
and realizes probably that she herself respects Dredd too much to put him away. And Dredd, for his own feelings, is too principled to actively get rid of Magruder. Like, it's becomes for Wagner essentially just too much work to figure to the tightrope works really well when it's framed in an almost Melvillian context of Magruder more or less taking out her frustrations at dread by trying and failing to charm a society of beleaguered settlers into buying her war machines to the point where um an amazing sequence where one of the the natural natives of the planet one of the no men um basically ignores magruder and the settlers and magruder starts by you know becomes more frustrated with her slippery control of power that she orders one of the her robots to to kill the gnomen and and it's it's a great sequence it's a really amazing the the sort of stuff that it there's chunks of witherlands where i'm like I was so frustrated, Graham, because I'm like, I'm not well read enough to know kind of where this is coming from. But it's it was pretty epic. Like I said, I mentioned Melville because there's points where Magruder almost seems like a crazy Ahab character, but also a crazy Ahab character that is going to fuck everything up, you know, and and in that sense, being almost little more than a mirror image of dread at his worst. Whereas dread by essentially doing his, like, I'm not going to support you, but I'm not going to do anything to actively overthrow you. I'm just essentially going to sulk, uh, out of principle, um, manages to continue to, Mm, uh, be the fly in the ointment up until the point where Dread gets the opportunity to save them all. I'm I mean, this. I yeah. don't know about you, but looking at the contents list of Wilderland's crossover mm -hmm. as it's presented here, there is prologue and then the tenth planet, yeah, and then Wilderland's a proper crossover, and then parting shots, and then farewell to the chief. Yeah, prologue and tenth planet, I think, are really strong. Yeah, absolutely. Like you, I really like Magruder doing the tour of Hestia. Yes. Well, it's, I think that's, I think it sets up a lot of drama. I think it's fun to watch her get frustrated. That things aren't going her way. Yes. You know, it's fun to watch dreads. He's unable to be passive. Mm -hmm. And yet he's also unwilling to, to act. Mm -hmm. And there's a tension there that is genuinely compelling to me. Right. Right. Wilderland's the crossover is kind of a mess. Yeah. But that parting shots I think is great. You know, yeah. I think I think part it's, it's parting shots is very the, strong. The, the crossover. Yeah. The the, uh, the part where they crash and Magruder is removed from the narrative for all intents purposes and Dredd has to step up on a quest to get them off the planet or get them rescued mm -hmm. is really is really sloppy. Mm -hmm. It it's 
it it feels like it has no direction. It feels like like it has no no immediacy. There's mm-hmm. no intensity to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like I I genuinely think it it's it's a strange thing where I can appreciate the way that Wagner structured it in mm-hmm. that the the magazine chapters, the the hair scene drawn chapters yeah. are Castillo's story. That's right. And and the two thousand chapters are dreads. I appreciate that. But story wise, narrative wise, it's really dull. <laughs> Nothing really happens or the things that do happen seem to come from out of nowhere. I'm not invested in any of the characters with the exception of Dredd, the recruiter, who is unconscious for the whole thing. Right. And not even really Castillo. Mm. You know? Mm-hmm. There is a significant Deus Ex Machina in terms of the aliens who who are from the planet who just show up and, and go, Oh, we'll save you in the last minute for Castillo and, and the the girl from the planet. Like that's just so lazy and sloppy that I can't quite believe it's there. And uh, and so Wilderlands is completely flat. But then, again, as soon as Magruder wakes up mm-hmm. and you get back to Mega City 1, I'm interested again. Right. Right. Exactly. The thing where you take, you take Dread out of, for want of a better way of putting it, the political aspect of the story that Wagner's been writing. Mm-hmm. And I just lose all interest. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you place him back in, as soon as you place him back in, mm-hmm. I'm there. Mm-hmm. Well, which which makes sense. Which makes sense for me. By that point, essentially, as Wilderlands starts to fall apart under its own power, and then the other stuff, um, M- Wagner resorts to a lot of things that are like avoids the obvious choices, but also unfortunately means avoiding the more interesting choices like there is a uh one of the things that 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 runs from hestia and into willowlands is phoenix the settler that feels more like an inhabitant of the planet than the humans and castillo become friends and chumps like phoenix takes castillo into her confidence. Sure. Yeah. Um, and there is a really strong case to be made that Phoenix, of course, is too obvious a choice to be the saboteur um, of the ship. But you have situations where the ship is someone shoots the pilots in the ship collapses under mysterious circumstances you have uh at uh, a whole sequence where even though they have made it to quote unquote safety there everyone is uh starts is basically fed hallucinogenic food and begins hallucinating and and people start dying violently of course as they stumble into situations where they are vulnerable and killed and it's outright said that Phoenix is the one who has given them the food and, you know, feels terrible about it. And you even get a situation where Phoenix, Castillo, and one of the other judges has to split off from the party, go off to a distant research radio station, and are the only real chance for help. 
Also, what's important and interesting is Castillo is been meek, mild, and more or less too nice. And some of the more interesting parts of Wilderlands is one of the Wagner things that the dread things that usually works very well, which is dread more or less takes a younger judge or a female judge that is underestimated takes them seriously and shows that they're, they've really got the stones to be a real judge. You're supposed to see that in the magazine sections where Castillo and the, and Phoenix and the other judge are more or less having to walk across a desert and fight horrible creature, nasty stuff. But because there's no drama in it, it's merely, does she have the stones? She's got the stones. Like, things happen. There's lots of creepy, awful, ooky, one of the judges dies. There's various points where, you know, they have more or less crises of faith and almost end up dying in a sandstorm. Like you said, until the no man thing happens. But to me, it's really clear that's supposed to more or less be... Or could have been a million times more interesting if Castillo found out that Phoenix was the traitor. Phoenix tried to kill her and Castillo had to show that she had what it takes, right? You know, but but Wagner goes for the watered down version of it. There, There's a point. Essentially, Wilderlands is, I think, the instincts that made Oz work um betray wagner because in oz wagner and grant build it to a situation where dread is more or less no choice but to shoot chopper in the back or let chopper escape and wagner more or less walks out of that situation with a, no, I know how to make this happen in a way that's to, to not have it be what has to happen. Like we can do something else and it can be interesting. And unfortunately, Wilderlands is that same sort of like, oh, I can have it all turn out. Be okay. I'm going to literally have everyone say that Magruder's going to die if Magruder gets moved again. And then we move Magruder three more times. And then Magruder's never going to survive, even if she gets help. And then, of course, she comes out of a miracle coma and ends up shooting down two dudes. And it's, 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 a, it's a big applause in the theater moment. But, it is, but it's an utter betrayal of where the story yeah. is going. In survival is another portrayal of exactly, exactly. Sort of the same way that Magruder being taken out of the story is sort of a betrayal, but very much in the Wagner Grant classic tradition of this is a swerve that you didn't see coming, but it doesn't make things better; it makes things worse. You know? Yeah, but the the trick would be. Again, Magruder wakes up and doesn't believe it. Yes. Right? Yeah. Like, right. The, the, the trick is Magruder does recover. Right. But she blames Dredd. Right. 
Right. Or you even get into it. There's so many places where, where you can go when she wakes up. If nothing else, the idea that her robots, like she's literally going nuts, believing that her robots are, um, that one, that early on in the sequence, you have a situation where a robot is supposed to shoot and protect her and fails to. And at that point, she starts becoming paranoid about the robots as well. She literally comes out of a coma and finds out that the robots are betraying her. Like, exactly the way she basically has all of her paranoid suspicions proven right. And that's the point at which she goes, okay, and I'm retiring. You know what I mean? Like, I was wrong. It's like, you were just proven right here. Like, you were... You were at the point where your paranoia, like, was actually proven to be correct in the weirdest, most wrong way. And yet you're suddenly, you know, it, it's, it is, it's, you know, it's soap opera writing 101. Like, somebody hit, is, gets a concussion, and when they come out of it, Norman Osborn doesn't remember that Peter Parker's Spider-Man anymore. You know? It's like, mm-hmm. threat is resolved Thanks to the miracle of a near coma. And it's, it's, it's a, it's a real cop out. In fact, the ending of Wilderlands is like a series of like six cop outs in a row, right down to the point of the showdown. It, 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 it starts, it literally starts with like a handful of people more or less being crushed by a planet that is alien and foreign and may even be intelligent and want no part of them and essentially comes down to dread shooting it out with three dumb convicts. You know what I mean? Like, that's just... Dread shooting it out with three dumb convicts who are so dumb that a recording of dread where he's saying something that he's not even talking to them confuses them enough. It's so bad. That's like it... something out of 70s television. You know, like so dumb. It, it doesn't even make sense because, because as I was saying before, Wilderons really does feel like an old school dress. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like very aggressively. Yeah, feels like something from you know Judge Child. Yeah, where there is a uh, a, a goal, there is mm-hmm. a mission to be accomplished. Right, but the mission is so vague. Yeah, that you can tell any story in order to get there, and you do. Mm-hmm. But it seems so sloppy within that, right? You know, like the structure is interesting. Again, the 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 idea of of Castillo is having her own adventure inside this story. Yes, and all of the magazine things are Castillo's story. Yeah, is an interesting is an interesting way of doing the crossover. Mm-hmm. You know, and I like the way that Wagner repeats scenes mm-hmm. to ensure that you know where you are in the story. Yes. But once Castillo and Phoenix are sent away, mm-hmm. they essentially become irrelevant to the story, despite the fact that, A, you get a lot of real estate spent in them, and B, they are the people who make the radio call to rescue the ship. Right. But no. they don't. Like, they don't accomplish anything, if that makes sense. No, no, like, no. Like, they lost mm-hmm. in the sandstorm, and then they get rescued by people who you don't really know who they are. Mm-hmm. And you don't get any explanation for that. Mm-hmm. And then they make the rescue call, and then the next chapter begins after the fact of the rescue. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, there's there's a, even more to the point. Like one of the ways in which Castillo should is works great up until the point where she starts getting her own chapters is she is a character who has her own story and conflict, but that is not central to how she's being presented up until that point. She is basically a really clever narrative framing device, uh, you know, straight out of a semi-epistolary novel angle that allows Wagner to constantly have someone restate the conflicts and also be in the perfect position to see Dredd and see Magruder when they're not seeing each other and chronicling that conflict, which is great. Once you, and then you also get to see her have her sort of semi merchant ivory style adventures on Hestia where Phoenix, there's a great sequence where Phoenix takes her into the next room and shows the alien, the gnomon that, that, the settlers have killed that they more or less keep in a preserved chamber in a back room because they feel all of their bad luck began when they killed this, this native, right? So you literally see there's something where you get where, where she's Castillo is kind of this character that's, that could become the center character but in a way sort of can't because she's dread in a dread story, but also essentially once she's, she's like, okay, go walk across the desert. Like that has nothing to do with anything that either caused Castillo's problems or built to Castillo's drama, you know? And yet somehow it helps Castillo get over Exactly. Yeah. So that she is somehow going back to being a judge on the streets by the end of it. Yes. It's so strange. Again, throughout the whole thing, you know what Wagner's doing. Yep. You see the the shape of his intent. Mm -hmm. But the execution is almost non-existent. Well, because, and I think the thing that is rough is when either... Either Wagner does not care or Wagner just can't figure out a way to make it satisfying. Like Hestia, the whole 10th planet story may be a way in which Wagner is painting himself into a corner, like kind of like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to figure this out here because there's a real switch a real very interesting switch in the first part of the 10th planet before you move into witherlands where again magruder more or less represents civilization like and in the negative sense of the terms like the 10th planet part of witherlands is a is a classic modern Western in the sense of civilization is shown as something that is, doesn't have its own, is not seen as inherently good. We, in fact, we see it be incredibly bad and we see it 
foisting things off on these settlers that they don't necessarily want and leading to the deaths of natives that that is absolutely 100% bad, you know? And in that, like, there's a weird, like, I found myself being like, okay, is this, is this Melville? Is this Conrad? Is it Hawthorne? Is it John Ford? Is it, what the fuck am I looking at? Because it seems like such a, a familiar story and something that, that Wagner is telling with such confidence that when he basically turns it into the Batan Death March version of Gilligan's Island, you're like, what are you doing? Like, why did you do, how did you end up yeah, here? How, how, exactly. How did, how is this the place you were going? Exactly. Exactly. In, in what world were you always meaning to go here? Exactly. And, and I just can't, I can't see it other than I think that either something changed because there's a weird part in the narrative where I am sure you know, is, is this, is this the uh, bit before the big Austin thing where there's a, a massive narrative jump? Yes. Yeah. There's a crazy narrative jump that ends with like a super cliffhanger. And again, this I think says a lot about what Wagner's doing is it's like a triple uh, cliffhanger in which you have, one of the judges be jumped by the the three mutants. You have the medic being called into the woods by a voice that sounds like Dread, and then I forget what the hell's happening to Dread. But it's like three storylines that are like, and then suddenly it all picks up like where one of the narratives has jumped too far forward and one of the narratives has been strangely rolled back. So it just seemed like the wrong draft got sent out or something and they just had to run with it. It's like a real weird cock up. Yeah. There. There, there's a really, really, it is a very, very strange part where honestly, it just seems like, because Mick Austin is drawing it. It's, it yes. Everything else is scary is drawing. And Mick Austin draws that chapter. And it feels as if maybe literally a chapter has gotten lost. Yes. And they've had to rewrite it from memory. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that actually, right, that that makes sense. Or that there's a, they thought that, I think the other thing is, is maybe they were planning on Escara getting behind. So they passed Mick Austin the chapter in advance, but it was an earlier draft that was going to end up at a different place and Wagner forgot. Or I think as Mick Austin pointed out, Austin tends to be the sort of go-to like draw when they're like backed into a corner and they need someone who's fast and, and relatively good. So like you said, maybe they lost it and had to recreate it from memory, but it's, it's a huge mess. Like it's a huge mess in the middle of a bunch of stuff where you're like, you, it's, it's, a, it's weird because unlike the first half of the book, it is so, there's so much of it that's so good that it took me a genuinely long time to be like, oh, this doesn't work like this. Like, and then rereading it and being like, not only does it not work, it kind of cheats at the end in ways that you don't normally see Wagner cheat. Yeah, it massively cheats. One of the problem with that McCoston chapter is that it 
gives away the villain, for want of a better way of putting it. Yeah, right. Like, you, the, the robot has not been sort of identified as the threat before yeah, now. And right. then all of a sudden, you start in media res with the robot is in conflict with Dread. Right. Right. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Like, it's clear that the whole chapter, which that got revealed, and they were in... There's uh, there's so much weird shit with that. Uh, that is so frustrating how how that ball got dropped. But again, there's also a very strange kind of why did the robot do this? Who knows? And in fact, that is the chapter that you sort of like is the follow up, the epilogue where or one of the two epilogues where essentially Magruder's like, I'm retiring. I'm stepping down like these are the acting judges. But yeah, I'm leaving. Uh, and in the course of things is literally have people saying like, yeah, so it was the robots and we don't really know why they did it, but yeah, what are you going to do? Maybe we'll never know, which is no, no, but well, it, and then there's, well, and then there's then the additional have a further reveal yes. where recruiters like it was the guy in charge. Okay. You got away with it, but I know it was you. But that's just left out there as well. Well, but see, it's never confirmed. He just that's says something saying. like that's, you're nuts. That's what you I'm know? saying. Yeah. It's just it's just left out there. Yeah. Exactly. Maybe it was the robots going mad by themselves because and this is a major thing to drop as a as a you know, a passing line, but the robots identified Magruder as a threat to the city. Right. Right? Which again, never followed up on. Yeah. Right. Or the robots were programmed to do so by uh what's his name Greel sorry Greel yeah you know again I like that chapter a bunch I really do mm -hmm. but it's amazing that by that point it's almost as if Wagner is like okay so what's happened is I've just decided to get rid of Magruder mm -hmm. and I'm doing it the quickest way I can let's all agree we'll never talk about this ever again I, I do wonder, because you, you suggested that maybe uh, Wagner changed his mind midway through. Mm -hmm. I do wonder if somewhere along the lines, Wagner was basically told, you have to get, you have to wrap this up. You have to deal with the Magruder plots one way or another. Mm -hmm. Just just get it done. Mm -hmm. And so he's like, fine, I'll, I'll get it done. And that might explain why he's just not. I mean, he doesn't feel engaged. At all. I mean, again, I think, I mean, I think there is, I think, I think there's, I think there's a lot there. I think for me, it's Wagner. Wagner is, how do I put it? Wagner is Wagner, right? Like, I feel like the, the sections that, that are, that you win, Hestia and Western and Wilderland's Earth are most interesting. It's like Magruder's Magruder, Dread is Dread, and Wagner's Wagner. And essentially all of them are like, I have to be true to myself, right? And I think that Wagner is, like you said, is essentially told you you gotta resolve this one way or the other. And I think maybe on paper, Wagner was like, okay. I'm going to have them all go to this planet. I'm going to have Magruder die in this weird coma sabotage thing. And what's going to happen is there's going to be some piece of it. it like essentially 
when that happens, the judges back home exonerate Dread, and so Dread comes back to Earth uh, and Mega City One, but instead of being like Dread, the super the super cop that everyone knows is essentially cannot be impugned, nobody trusts him. Like everyone thinks that that Dread killed Magruder and essentially, you know, his name's kind of mud. Like even the people who think that he did the right thing have him wrong. And Dread is stuck in the situation of kind of having to put up with that. You know, I think that maybe that was where Wagner was going. And Wagner was like, that's not interesting to me. Again, kind of like with Chopper. It's like, I want Magruder to live because Magruder's interesting and Magruder can be a fly in the ointment. And also, I think in a way, Magruder is a mirror image of Dread that can come back to do interesting things with Dread. So I don't I don't want to write her out. And also, I have a lot of fondness for her, but but it kind of doesn't. Again, it doesn't make sense, but it's also it's also Wagner being like, I got to be true to me, which is I'm not I'm going to write myself into an impossible situation and then I'm going to give the a, a, a way out that is not the way out that anyone was expecting and it's going to be fine. And and this is one of the first times where I'm like, it's not though like there are lots of ways in which you know that i think there's you know wagner's like yeah you gotta you gotta keep them guessing and i think that that was the to put it mildly kind of the wrong way to do it i think it's also interesting and weird that there might be a there's how do i put it there's a lot of stuff that is that so there's a there's a story called farewell to the chief that follows this which is drawn in that butt ugly style that i do not like um where you get to see castillo back on the streets and essentially there is a tough gang called the tribe which are a bunch of Mega City One jerks dressed up in Native American garb who are in the process of shooting things up. And I forget, I think they've taken prisoners. And Castillo, to be super tough, um, you know, it's like the other dr- judges are balking at following her orders. Dread shows up to kind of watch over her. And you see her kind of like, do all sorts of cool shit and 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 gun down the the chief, the Indian chief, and the the other um you know, basically says like, hey, you guys better um surrender. And they're like, Oh, we do, we do, yeah, we we do. You should take us off to prison. And she sentences them to ten years and they're super happy because it means that they're cool guys. Um and it's it's a weird it's a very weird thematic story. You know what I mean? Like you essentially have a character who is seen essentially a a judge gun down a native 
on the planet. And then you get to see that replayed within the narrative of the typical Judge Dredd narrative. You know what I mean? Like there's, I do also sometimes wonder if there's a way in which, in a way that I can't figure out if our disappointment in Witherlands is like, oh yeah, Wagner's lost it or Wagner just doesn't seem to, to care or is game isn't in there. I wish that I could have come up with a, uh, a counter narrative in which the reason why this is disappointing is that Wagner's real thematic concerns lie elsewhere. And it has everything to do about something? Question mark, question mark, question mark. Like stage three profit, Graham. I don't know. There's something that's in there that is very much a weird by the time that you see Castillo become a judge, it feels like a weird natural extension of the storyline that we're being told, but is in fact weirdly a thematic undercutting, you know, like there's a weird, I don't mean to be too. Did you pick up like a lesbian subtext? with the stuff with Castillo and, and Phoenix. Yes. Phoenix. It's yes. okay. I'm really glad because it's interesting. I'm um, not, not in like a salacious way, but in a way that the two of them are, are God, God, I'm trying to think of some way to make this sound like it's not shitty porn. Yes. No, exactly. Like in the way that the two of them might have feelings for each other. Yeah. That it's, it's, a, it's a, um, for lack of a better term, I feel like it's a Victorian novel sort of lesbianism it's a it's a merchant ivory lesbianism you know what i mean and i feel like it's very like there's a point where they're even like bathing together swimming around nude in the in in an oasis you you have those scenes Mm -hmm. where it definitely seems wagner is not incredibly subtly hinting at something yeah but like everything else in wilderland's it doesn't lead to anything. Nothing happens. Right. Well, nothing happens, but there's, I mean, apart from, I think it, it, it ends up turning away, really moving steadily away from the sort of interesting part of the narrative. But I guess what I think is interesting is there's a, there's a whole sub narrative about Castillo where essentially Castillo comes to a foreign planet before she is a failure in the world of Magruder and Dread, and she's attracted to Dread. That's one of the things that's really unbelievably awkward. Is one of her first things is like, "Ooh, when he snaps at me, he's so attractive," you know. And you're kind of like, "Huh." And then, as the story goes on, and she and Phoenix, like Phoenix, literally shows her things about the planet, and she opens up in a very merchant ivory sense to the potential of the world and the idea that she goes from Hestia talking about how terrible it is and how awful it is to kind of like how much she's like, yeah, I feel like the planet has accepted me. And she says something to the extent of maybe because I'm going to be, le- it knows that I'm going to be leaving it or I want to want to leave, but it, it, it all lays the groundwork for a completely different narrative than than what ends up with with what you get, which is literally 
her gunning down uh, someone dressed as an Indian on the streets of Mega City One while, you know, like she's literally playing cowboys and Indians there. And that's this weird completion of the narrative. Like there's a there is some weird way in which I wonder if Wagner's whole point about this stuff is like these stories fail because they sort of they have to fail like these are that the that the judge dread narrative that the that the dread narrative even dread and magruder's conflict is a narrative that that sells weapons that kills natives that poisons planets you know in that kind of classic hippie late period spaghetti western kind of way and yet and yet it's so heavily subtextualized that you're just like this story was a mess it's dumb and didn't work and and it probably is that but part of me does wonder (laughs) if there's something else I, I I would like to think I it, this is one of the ones where I'm like I wish you were right right but I think that's I think that's a dramatic stretch well sure hail to the chief or farewell to the chief I kind of farewell remember which to is the called. chief it is farewell, farewell. to the chief yeah. he's such an odd uh, I was going to say send off for Castile but she sticks around but it's 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 such an odd send off to the book it's a mm-hmm. very very strange place to to end the book and yet at the same time you couldn't really start off it's so collect, connected to Wilderland you couldn't really right. start from there either. But it's unsuccessful feels like an understatement. Yeah. It almost feels like Wagner is going through the motions to try and establish that Castillo is quote unquote better now. Mm-hmm. But again, there's been that's not earned. Mm-hmm. She didn't go through anything that would have made that happen. And also the story is so inappropriately macho for want of a better way yes exactly especially after everything else that we've seen it's literally about her triumph is if she had been sufficiently macho and 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 ignored what phoenix was telling her she would have marched into the area and been killed and instead they end up like literally being saved by the no men of the planet. Right. So, yeah. you know, so then for it to follow up and be like, so here I am killing dudes with my judge's helmet on. Is it just like, what, you know? So, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. It's a weird follow-up story. And like you said, it, it, what's weird is, and I think funny, maybe intentionally is, is that farewell to the chief should be the story for Magruder. Right, that should be the title for Magruder's from, story. From the title, yeah, 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 you know. Um, but in fact, it's called Farewell to the Chief, literally in part because because the bad guy is dressed as an Indian chief, and she shoots him. Like again, there's well, but, a but weird. That's just it. I, yeah, I I feel that there's. I feel that it's almost a pun. Yes, you know, like he's like he's written Magruder out. The story's called Farewell to the Chief. You think you know where it's going, and he's like, "Ha ha, I have wrong-footed you." It's actually the shitty pun. Yeah, right, exactly. Uh, yeah, it's just it's uh... okay, Jeff. When we touched base midway through the week, right? You were much more uh, upbeat about this volume. Yes, than I was. It sounds to me like that is not the case. 
<laughs> like you said, the second reread kind of fucked me up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so here's my question. This entire volume. Right. Bearing in mind, we didn't like the first thing either. Drock or Dross? Um, you know, I can't write it all off as Dross. I got to go. I, it's tough. I'm like, semi You got to do one or the other, Jeff. It's got to be Drock. I will say Drock. It's got to be Drock? Yeah, I do. I, I do. I, because we didn't talk about. I mean, I talked a little bit about how much I like the Tenth Planet stuff. One thing that we didn't talk about is Carlos Escarra's art. You did not like <laughs> the photoshopped background. Uh, oh, look! At at some point in the middle of the Tenth Planet, <laughs> he starts using Photoshop, and he starts, I mean, dramatically using Photoshop to yeah. the point where his backgrounds are just photoshopped photos. Yep. And I loved uh, it. I loved nice. it. I you loved did? It. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I loved it. Oh you, oh, you and me are very different. No, I know. I know. I know. I get it. I get it. And those fucking dune sharks where he compu- he uses the Photoshop effects to give him that weird. I, I'm into it. Because to me, I know it's Photoshop. But at the same time, it looks closer to Kirby's photo collages. And so I'm more into it. The Dune Sharks creep me out because they're Uncanny Valley. And those things, I'm shocked, have not given me literal nightmares. But every time I look at them, I just get skeeved out. But the rest of it, where it's where it's these cartoon figures against stock footage of smoldering volcano lava works for me and works for me and works for me in a way that I totally get nobody else would think of. But I loved all of Escarza on this. I, like, as soon as he starts going, oh, what if I don't draw anything but just Photoshop the shit out of it? Yep. I I don't like it at all. I get it. It really turns me off. Yeah, 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 yeah. I get it. I get it. I think I get the sense it turns a lot of people off. Weirdly enough, whenever the the after chapters where they're back in Mega City One, and he's just kind of like being like, "Yeah, big wall of lights for a building." What do you think of that? Like a little more <laughs> underwhelming for me. But at the same time, I'm like, I dig it. I dig it. Yeah, it worked for me. So yeah, I gotta go. I gotta go, Drock. Because again, the first time I read it through. It was great, and and there's that feeling when you're, which I've now ruined for anyone listening to this podcast. Sorry, where if you read through Wilderlands and you're like, like up to Wilderlands, you're like, where the hell is this going? And all the Tenth Planet stuff, like, there's just great shit in there. And to me, the sequence in which. Magruder more or less insists that they gun down the 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 native and no one wants to do it and Magruder orders the robot to do it is just great. I mean that is a great sequence. And so for me the book is I can't write it off as dross. I really can't. See, I I agree that there's a lot of good in it mm-hmm. and like i said uh the first read through i was like oh yeah this is moving fast i'm digging it the yeah. second read through uh, less so right uh, in fact it's fair to say the second read through i thought it was terrible yeah yeah and the third read through, i was like it's not as bad as the second read through made it go right but i think you have to say dross i get it 
I, I get do. it. Yeah. I think there's so much that isn't good here mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that I, I don't think I could say like, oh, you know, on the whole, I yeah. think it's a good volume. There is so much good in it. Yes. There is a lot of good in it. There really is, despite the fact that we have honestly spent two hours complaining about it. The fact that I did the majority of the complaining and I'm still saying Drock is got to be people have just got to be tearing their hair out. And I get it. But, I feel. But, but it's true. Like there is there is so much that is is there is good in it. The, the, um, again, the lead up to the actual Woodlands crossover mm-hmm. is is really good. Mm hmm. Uh, and I like the immediate epilogue as well. Mm-hmm. I, I like it's really good stuff. Mm-hmm. But there's it's surrounded by so much bad. It's it's bad, and it really does fail. What I mean, that's it. What did we do with the Judge Child volume? Did we did we give that a drop or a dross? Do you remember? I, I don't think we. Did. I, I don't think we were even doing drop or dross back then. Well, maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. It, it escaped. Yeah, 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 yeah. Could be. Um. So, yeah, no, I get it. I get it. I'm kind of like, it fails, but I still, I, I spent, I spent a lot of time thinking about sections of this a lot, you know? Yeah, like, no, again, it's really close to being good, but it's yes. not. <laughs> no, I agree. I agree. You know, and, and so that's why it's got to be dross for me. I understand. I understand. And I, and I, I. I fully support you, even if I can't quite bring myself. Like I, I fully support you, even if I disagree with you. Which honestly, I'll take. <laughs> you know, I fully yeah. support you, but I also think you're wrong. Yes, exactly. I get it. I get it. So yeah, I'm like I'm. I, that's that's just the way it is, everyone. Um, okay, let's wrap it up. Yes, because we have spent two hours talking about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say this. We we end this on a cliffhanger. This book on a cliffhanger. Yes, which is a very which weird is, one. It's a very weird one. Is Dredd going to run as as chief judge? Mm-hmm. Uh, that will be resolved in the next volume. I would think so because it really seems like I don't know. It seems like a real fake cliffhanger to me. But maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. It's it's so strange that like we do end up on that cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. That yeah. It, it, so Case Files twenty one, which we're doing in a month, uh, does. Does deal with that. Uh, there is again Wagner. Twenty-two, sorry. Yeah. Uh, there is a lot of Wagner. Uh, there is also Grant Morrison and Mark Miller's Crusade, mm. which, mm. oh boy, everyone. Um, mm. But I, I, maybe because because again, it's me. I've read forward slightly. Maybe because we've gotten <laughs> Wilderons out of the way. Maybe because there is some uh, Grant Morrison and Mark Miller in there. The Wagner stuff feels much more coherent. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yep. So yeah, so you've got a lot of you've got a lot of Wagner who seems back in his game. Uh, you've got even more Wagner magazine. It is almost all Wagner in twenty two. Ooh. Uh, you get the Mark Miller, Grant Morrison crusade and two thousand eight stuff. And in the magazine, I think you have like maybe two stories that aren't Wagner. Mm-hmm. So it's almost all Wagner. Hmm. We will get to see whether you or, for that matter, me on second read. Feel as if Wagner is losing it or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I will go on record saying that I think Wagner, if he is losing it now, gets it back. Mm-hmm. There mm-hmm. is stuff uh, really not that far away, actually, that he does where he basically ditches the status quo. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and what he does is really interesting. Mm-hmm. And what he does is, I mean, not only much better than what we're seeing in this volume, but refreshes the strip and kind of refreshes the character mm. just because it's playing against type in such mm. an interesting way. Uh, I don't know. I can't, I, I would argue that that doesn't start in the next volume, but I also think that at least the 2000 AD stuff, which is as far as I've gotten in 22, mm-hmm. feels much better than his stuff in this volume. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious to see, again, if you agree or if I agree with myself after I've read it a second time. <laughs> yes, indeed, indeed. I look forward to that as well. Otherwise, this is the part where I'm going to tell you that there will be show notes for this up on Monday at waitwhatpodcast.com. Uh, there is a not updated anytime recently, but I swear to God it will happen before we all die. Tumblr at waitwhatpods.com forward slash waitwhatpods. There is also a Patreon. Oh, sorry, there's a Twitter. I should talk about the Twitter at waitwhatpodcasts. It's a Twitter account. Jeff is on Twitter at LazyBassid, at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. And I am on Twitter at Graham M, at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. And we are, as I just said, a Patreon-supported podcast, which means Jeff talks about it like this. Yes, I do. Uh, Somewhat quick, unfortunately, uh, just because um, I feel like making our way through Wonderlands has has shown me uh, that perhaps there is something to be said for brevity. Uh, we're super grateful to all of our listeners. Uh, you keep us engaged, uh, motivated. You provide us with some excellent tips and fun facts. In fact, one of the great joys I think of Drock is seeing the commentary from the listeners on the threads at waitwhatpodcast.com, um, that manages to, to grow my understanding of dread and of comics generally, which Super, super grateful for. And on top of that, there is an elite cadre of listeners who also throw us a little bit of their hard-earned dosh. And as a result of which, we have things like Baxter Building, our uh, read-through of the first 416 issues of Fantastic Four, which you can find in our RSS feed. And this very podcast, Rock, where we have been reading through Judge Dredd, The Complete Case Files. Those are things that we would not have done were it not for your really wonderful uh, fiscal support. Um, we also want to give a hearty shout out and thank you to Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, for her continuing support of this podcast and for her protection of this little neck of the celestial realm. Um, Just the fact that you don't have to step outside and worry about the god-awful menace that is flying dune sharks. I think, I think it's pretty safe to say we, we have her to thank. Graham? Don't have to worry yet. (laughs) It's true. It is early in 2021. God help us. Yeah. Yeah. Who can tell? Uh, like I said, we're doing another drug in a month. We're doing another Wait What in two weeks because we have next week off. Uh, and because this is a drug, Jeff is about to sing us out. Yes, I am. Uh, right. I had that moment of like, really? Is that how our schedule's working? It doesn't matter. We'll figure something out. Yeah, I take your word for it. I take your word for it. I, Which is to say, really? Anyway. Um, so Jeff, I swear to God. It I take your word for it, Graham. But really? Anyway, uh, uh, listeners, this is normally because I sing us out. It's the time where I say, Drock, you're under arrest, citizen. Report to the ISO cubes. Join us in 30 days.
or something. 